standing, if you would, let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. We lean into that. We lean hard into you, especially in times of loss, suffering, discouragement, disappointment. We just tell you that you're our God. We trust you. Trust you today. Lord, I pray that you speak to every one of us now in this room, that you would speak at the, just at the heart, the point of our heart where we need to hear from you today. Each one of us would be able to know that you're present. We'd take steps that would move us closer to you and to embrace you and your love, that we might all grow in our awareness of your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may have a seat, that'd be great, thank you. Thanks for joining in and singing and rehearsing the goodness of God together when we get to sing those words out loud uh, each and every week. Also, this is the last week in our series on hope again. And I just really want to thank you for your response. Uh, I know that, you know, we live in a pretty crazy time right now. And it's been helpful, especially last week when we talked about hope in the storms, to know that no matter what we face, that God's always there and he's faithful and that Jesus is calling us to be relaxed with him. Uh, And uh, that happens. We learn how to do that as we walk with him to be relaxed in that way. So I just want to invite you, if you would, if, uh, as we jump in this morning, if you'll grab these message notes out of your program, they'll be really helpful for you today. Uh, we're going to take some notes. We've got lots of Bible verses that we're going to be looking at today. Specifically, though, I want to encourage you to grab your Bible and open it to Lamentations 3. Now, Lamentations is not a book that most of us often frequent, and so when we get to Lamentations, some of us are wondering, where is that at? So let me help out, okay? By the way, it never moves. It's always in the same place, so that might help. So it, just go to Psalms, go right, and as you go right, you'll hit Jeremiah, and then if you've gone to Ezekiel, you've gone too far, okay? Just a heads up there, and you can turn to Lamentations chapter 3. We're going to look at some of the verses that uh, were so helpful to me when I went through time of deep loss. Uh, those of you who are part of our church family know that uh, in May 14th of 1988, uh, my first wife was killed in an automobile accident. And so you know that's my story. And uh, so what I'm doing is I'm talking about grief today. Is I'm telling you things I've learned uh, in the time since she passed away. Lots of other loss in my life that I've been able to uh, experience and learn about God's faithfulness and that he's there. And so you're going to get to hear from me. And you're going to get to hear a personal story from a woman who went through a very tragic loss as well. And she'll be sharing some of the things that she learned as she went through uh, this season of deep grief. So uh, I'm just begin this morning with a concept. And this concept I got from a book, and uh, just, it's a really good book. If you want to read it sometime, it's called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. It's written by Tim Keller, uh, one of my favorite authors. And he talks about the fact that when you go through times of loss and grief, that what you need to do is you need to get in touch with what your heart is feeling. His word is communion with your heart. So he says you need to have communion with your heart so you get in touch with what your heart is feeling. And secondly, you must get in touch with what your mind is thinking, what what your mind is going through, the thoughts that are going through your mind. And he calls us to a discipline of the mind when we're going through times of loss and suffering. 
two activities that we need to engage in. Communion with our heart, so we know what our feelings are, and then what are our thoughts about what we're feeling, and ultimately what are our thoughts about God and whether we can focus on him. So he's expressing something I've also experienced to be you know, very true in my life, very practical when it comes to grief. That's to be in touch with what's going on in your heart. And I know this is hard because in grief, the feelings can be so strong that what we want to do is we want to run from them because they are so strong. And we think if we can just get away from them, that somehow it's just going to make it better just because we're not in the presence of that much pain in our heart. And what happens with many people is they run from their pain, they run from their struggles, and then ultimately they never face them because they're so fearful. And I'm just going to tell you, if you don't deal with your pain, it's going to come out in one way or another with your grief, with your loss. And so you want to do it in a healthy way. And so it just comes to this whole idea of from, that I got from this book and just this you know, processing myself. You can push your heart and your mind to hope again. Now, I know that, once again, when it comes to grief and loss, that in the first you know, like days of grief and loss, you're, you're just barely able to push yourself to get out of bed. And so what I know today I'm talking about, I'm talking about for some of you, maybe a little hard to grasp because of the pain you're in right now, but many of us will be able to understand that this is really the truth and it's the pathway that we could actually be moved to hope again is to push your heart and your mind toward hope. Push your heart and your mind toward hope. And that's what we're going to be looking at quite a bit today in this series. What we're going to learn is we're going to learn that exactly what the Bible writers learned and that helped them to move from hopelessness to hope. Now, Lamentations, where we're jumping in, where we're starting today, was written by the prophet Jeremiah in a time when God's people were experiencing deep grief after the loss of their nation and the loss of their homes, and they were taken captive and moved to a foreign land. This was a dark time, folks. This was a time of deep sadness and suffering and shame. And right in the middle of Jeremiah's lament, so he starts with chapter 1 with a lament. He goes through chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, still lament about how bad things are. Right in the middle of chapter 3, he has a moment of clarity. And in that moment of clarity, what he does, he stops and he pulls his eyes off of his pain. He pulls his eyes off of his suffering and he places his eyes on God. That's what he did in the middle of his suffering and his pain. And what he discovered is that hard is not bad. He discovered that hard is not bad because God is good. So just because it's hard doesn't mean it's bad because God is good. And this is what he writes in verse 21. But this I call to mind. I want you to underline that, this I call to mind, because that's the key phrase that I'm looking at in these verses. And therefore I have hope, because I call to mind, I have hope. This, and he talks, what did I call to mind? The steadfast love of the Lord now, when we went through our series on the fruit of the Spirit, when we started, we talked about love, and love comes from God, and it comes from this understanding, this concept of the steadfast love of the Lord. It never changes. And so I can trust him because he loves me. He is faithful to give me love. So that's one of the first things you can hang your hat on. No matter how things look, you can know that God is faithful to show you love. That love never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. So it's ever flowing, ever flowing to us. And then he says this, they are new every morning. You might, might as well go ahead and underline that every morning. Because I remember in the early stages of uh, the grief I was going through after the loss of my wife, that one of the hardest times is at night. The night when you're, the loneliness just gets 
the, just gets ramped up, the pain just gets really high, and you're just, you're just thinking, this night would never end. And the promise that I held on to that helped me was that in the morning that he's going to be there with me. His mercies never end. He's going to walk with me. And then he says this, great is your faithfulness. Great is that. So this is a declaration of the promise of what led the prophet Jeremiah to have hope. It was what happened to him as he focused on the truth of God's word, and then he declared his trust in God and made it public. He was making a choice. He could continue obsessing over the depression that his people were going through and experiencing, and that would lead him to more hopelessness, or he could choose to change that, and he could focus his heart and his mind that even though things are the way they are, even though God is not visible currently in the circumstances, that he can still trust God because God is who he says he is, and God will always do what he says he can do. He can trust him in that way. Same is true for us. We can always trust God. You know, when we think that God isn't there, when we think that we can never, we can't even have a hard time praying in our grief at times, we definitely have a hard time singing. Uh, I just talked with some people, and they were saying, you know, I, I don't know if I can come to church. They've had a recent loss. I don't know if I can come to church because when I come to church, I cry. And, you know, my response was that I remember going to church and crying every time I came, after, right after the death of my wife, and for months afterwards, especially during the singing. I would just cry, and I would weep, and I would just let it out. And what I want to say is that's a good place to be. It's a good place to come. This is your family, and to let your tears flow. We're going to talk more about that in just a little while. So what happens with Jeremiah is he's pushing himself toward what he knew to be true, despite what he was seeing his reality to be. So he pushed himself to what he knew to be true. He's able to lead himself despite what his current reality was. Another place that we find this to be true, and this was another verse that was helpful for me in my grief, was Psalm 42, 11. And it's just another great verse for those of you who find yourself in deep grief. It says this, Why are you cast down, O my soul? It's a repetitive question in this, in this psalm. And why are you in turmoil within me? And then he says this, here's the, here's the, here's the moment, push yourself. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God. So it's one of those moments where I'm going to push myself, or I'm going to talk in a minute, lead myself, my heart and my mind, toward hope. And he's challenging himself, and I think that's what he's challenging us to do as well. In the most difficult, depressing, discouraging, disappointing times of life, is that we would hope. We would just, even if we can't feel it, we would just hope. We'd say, I'm going to hope because I know, what is, I know what's true about you, God, and I'm going to trust you. Now, we all face times of loss. I've just talked about death. Well, there are other times of loss that we face. We face the loss of a job. We face the loss of a dream. Uh, we face maybe sometimes our kids might go in a different direction, and we're facing the loss of uh, them not living according to our values, and we're experiencing that. Uh, maybe that we are experiencing... I know people who experience the loss when they move from one location to another. So some of you, you may be recently transplanted here, and you're wondering why you're so sad. I'm just going to say it's because you've had loss. You have, some of you had great friends where you were living, and now you come here and you know no one, and you wonder why you're so sad all of a sudden, and I just want to give yourself time to grieve your loss. Be honest about that. We have lost, we have students in the room, a bad report card. There's loss that comes with that. There's loss that comes from a rejection notice uh, from a job application. 
Loss is part of life. And therefore, since loss is part of life, we need to learn to grieve the losses that we face. And today, I just want to talk to you about, just for a few minutes, about how to lead my heart and lead my mind toward hope when I'm having and experiencing loss. And so I'm going to give you three ideas, uh, and Clarice Brady is going to come in the middle of this and share from her perspective. But the first idea is this. If I'm going to lead my heart and mind, I need to embrace the process of grief. I need to embrace the idea that there's a process. Now, I'll just say it this way. Grief is not a destination. It's a process. And I'm going to say some of the hardest words that some of you will hear today. The journey may never end. And I know as I say that, some of you want to run. Because the pain is so strong, and you've just been enduring. You've been thinking that sometime or another, this is going to come to an end, and I'll be okay. And I just say, the journey may never end. See, some of you just can't imagine going through the rest of your life feeling like you do now. And what I want to say, in most cases, most cases, even though the pain will lessen, even though the pain will subside in some way, you will always feel the loss to some degree. You will always walk with a limp because of your loss, because it hurts so badly, strongly. So grief, and it's a process, and it's part of life. Look at what uh, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. He says this, talking about grief. He says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Now, what Paul's saying, he's not saying don't grieve. He's not saying that at all. He's saying that grief is natural and that grief is normal that we're going to experience that. But in the life of a follower of Jesus, grief is different because there's a hope that does not disappoint. There's a hope that does not disappoint. See, even though I may feel like I'm in a fog when I grieve, I lead myself to what is true. As I said earlier, my wife was killed on May 14th in June, like towards the end of June. Uh, We were pastoring a church in the mountains of Arizona And I needed to say goodbye to these folks because I was moving to Texas where I was going to get my master's degree. And so I went up to to speak, and it was actually the first time I'd spoken since she was killed. And it would be the last time I would speak to this group of people that loved us so much. And I chose that day to speak out of these next verses that are on your notes because it explained, it just really expressed how I was feeling. For we now see in a mirror dimly. Uh, That's exactly what grief is like, folks. You you can't see clearly. And so just a heads up, those of you who might find yourself in grief, this is why you need other people to come with you. Because when you're in grief, other people can see things more clearly than you can. Even though that Paul's talking about an entirely different perspective here. For now we see in a mirror dimly, he says, but then we see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I've been fully known. And then he goes on to say this. So now, faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And I titled my message that day that when everything else has been taken away, what's left when everything's been taken away? And it was love, that we always have love. See, I realize I may not be able to see God completely or clearly, but I can trust him completely. 
Well, I had another experience with loss. In 1995, I was at home and I was cooking dinner on a summer afternoon uh, when I received a call from my friend Clarice Brady telling me that she and her husband Tim were on their way to the emergency room. Her daughter Avery, age nine, had been found in a hot tub in their home underwater. The next day, Avery went to heaven. And I got to walk with Clarice and Tim through a time of brutal grief after this huge loss. So proud of what I've seen. And Clarice has taken this devastating loss and she's allowed God through her healing to speak into the lives of others who are also going through devastating loss themselves. She's an amazing woman of God and a dear friend. And I'm just going to ask if you would just give a warm welcome to Clarice Brady. She comes to share her story. Good morning. I'm here this morning to share a few of the ways that I processed my grief in the hopes that it will help those of you who are grieving today. And I'd like to begin by saying that each individual's grief is different, um, individual. And so only you are the expert in what works for you and what doesn't. I'll be speaking about grieving the loss of my daughter. Avery wasn't my first loss through death. Uh, both of my parents died when I was in my 20s, and I lost two siblings um, to diseases since then. But when my daughter died, my insides just turned, I just, my insides turned out. And I remember feeling like a giant toothache. My body just throbbed. So my body, my mind, and my spirit were in deep pain and darkness. And looking back, I can see that God's spirit was actively guiding me along a path that would help me in my healing process. I remember waking up very early a few days after my daughter's death, and I had to cry, but my house was full of out-of-town family, and I didn't want to disturb them, so I rolled out of bed and went down to the ditch and walked and cried. And when I came back, my husband was devastated, and he made me promise to never do that again because he didn't know where I was. And so the next morning when I woke up early again, I woke him up and he came with me and we went down to the ditch and we just sort of stumbled along. Well, this began a two or three year period of everyday walking that eventually turned into jogging um, that, that became part of our process. We even ran in a few local K runs. And um, as a matter of fact, we'd run sometimes on Sunday mornings and show up here in our sweats. So I know for a fact you can come to church in your sweats. <laughs> we started jokingly referring to ourselves as Forrest Gump. We just ran. And what I know now, though, is that aerobic exercise is extremely beneficial for anyone suffering with depression or anxiety. And both of those are rampant in grief. Our endorphins are completely depleted, and so moving is helpful. Of course, the problem is, is that when you're grieving, you're so exhausted, you can't even think about exercise. But I just want to encourage you, if you're grieving today, just to do whatever little bit you can, because it will make a difference for you. Grief is a fragile state. It's a delicate balance between bereavement and continuing to live. 
and that's your fill-in right there. We need to experience our grief, but we need to balance it with our need to continue to function. I was broken, depressed, and confused, but I wanted to remain as stable as I could for my husband and my son, both who were equally shattered. And so not that I didn't grieve in front of them, but I gave myself plenty of time for my own private grief. And after my son uh, got off to school, I would go up to Avery's bedroom and I would lay on the floor and cry for as long as I needed to. And then I would get up and I would go down and lay on my couch and listen to a CD that I had made. And the first three songs were songs from her service. And I would usually cry through those. And then the next four songs were songs that I'd carefully chosen that would help me get my mind and my heart off of myself and my pain and onto God and onto eternity. And I would cling to those words. And I can tell you that those of us who have a part of our heart in heaven live with a more tangible awareness of eternity. And I think that's a gift. Music was a central therapy for my healing. At the time of Avery's death, I happened to be taking voice lessons here at the church with a uh, group from the choir. And because Christian music was so healing for me, I picked out a song and began working on that. And I worked really hard with my vocal co coach an hour a week. And then um, every day, at least an hour in my home, I, I practiced on this song and really, again, fo focused on those words. Mind you, I wasn't a soloist at the time, but I became one for a season here, and I sang several times here at the church. And looking back, I think that contributed to the healing process of our church family as well as, as, well as mine. I started painting. I pulled out my watercolors, and I started making bookmarks. And my sister used her beautiful gift of calligraphy and, and wrote the verses that I picked out on these cards that I would give to my friends and, and to other people in grief. I became a crazy intense gardener. I have these huge flower beds that are full of rocks and little tiny pebbles, and I would spend all day out there digging through the clay, getting these little pebbles out to where I could later amend the soil and plant. And often my husband couldn't get me to come in until it was dark. Since then, I've learned that grieving through the arts is a very effective tool for most people, even if they don't consider themselves to be artists. It's about the process, not the product. It's very soothing. And there's something about engaging the right side of your brain that helps emotional healing. And now, as a counselor, I encourage people toward any form of art, music, painting, Woodwork, gardening, scrapbooking, photography, any kind of art to help process grief. In the weeks after Avery's memorial service, I became obsessed with finding a scripture that would speak to my heart and comfort me. And I asked Ron and Kim and many friends to send me verses that, that could help me. And as much as I appreciated their response and the verses they sent, I just hadn't found it. And I just kept searching for my verse. And when I came upon it, I, I absolutely knew it. And it was Isaiah 42, 16. Now, what I was doing in Isaiah, I couldn't tell you because I'm not a biblical scholar. But what I can tell you is when I read those words, they just went right to my heart. 
I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. Amen. <laughs> this gave me assurance that God would lead me through this and that my darkness would be turned into light again one day. This was a verse that I could cling to. And then I remember like two weeks later driving down Idaho Maryland Road and I know exactly where I was. And I had all these thoughts come into my head like, oh, Clarice, you're just kidding yourself. These verses aren't for you. Th th that was some man running around in the desert 3,000 years ago. It has nothing to do with you. And I just, I felt my verse being taken away from me. And I, I started crying. And I asked God to help me and to show me the truth. And then I pushed in this little CD that I had of music that I had made over a year ago. And they were verses, scripture verses put to music. Um, and I had several of them, but I had never played this particular tape. And as I pushed it in, it was Isaiah 16. 4216, uh, the words just came on, and and I, I knew then that God was confirming, yes, I'm telling you, this is your first, it's for you, you can claim this promise, and it's a promise that you can claim too. God is so close to the brokenhearted. We're told in Psalm 34 that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. You know, the veil is very thin for those in grief. God is so close. In my deepest grief, I prayed every day that God would help me feel his presence that day in some tangible way. And, and I can tell you that I can't remember a time that my prayer wasn't answered. God's word is healing. I read the Psalms daily. I would take a psalm and, and make it mine and help me express my sorrow. So in your grief, when you don't know what else to pray, you can read a psalm and make it your prayer. For me, Kate Arthur's book, As Silver Refined, was very helpful. It's about trusting God through our trials. I had it underlined on most pages and dog-eared, and I literally carried it around with me. So I would recommend that book, As Silver Refined. Later on in my grief journey, a concept that was pivotal for me was the idea of loving and separation. I had read about letting go and acceptance, but that just wasn't working for me. Somehow I felt that if I went there, it would distance me from my daughter, and I honestly just couldn't do it. But in reading Thomas Addig's book, he helped me understand that I don't have to let go to heal. He talks about continuing bonds. I could continue to love in separation. And I know it's a fine line, but it was a very authentic and healing concept for me. And I know it's helped a lot of others to move forward. So that's loving and separation. I still walk with a limp sometimes, as you can see, um, and probably always will, but that's okay. Most days I'm fully engaged with life and fully grateful. And I'd like to close with my latest favorite quote. It's by Doug Manning, and it's your next fill-in. Grief is not a process of forgetting. It's a process of remembering while we learn to cope. We don't forget. We continue to remember, and that helps us heal.
I'd like to encourage those of you who are grieving today to be patient with yourselves. Grief is much harder work and takes much longer than we want it to or that anyone around us wants it to. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And we need safe, supportive people around us. Thank you. Thank you, Therese. This was a very a moving time for our church family as we walked with Clarice and Tim through um, their grief, and for me and Kim personally as well. Um, and so I just appreciated the courage that she had. Um, she's never really taught from this perspective today like she did now and her feelings, and so uh, just so, so love her for what she was able to give us today. So I just want to share a couple of more verses that were helpful for me in my grief process. Um, and the, sec the next one is 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. It's on your notes. It says this. Paul is writing. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and calls him the Father of mercies. Now, this draws us back to Lamentations 3, that his mercies never end. So he's not only the one who gives mercy, but he's the author of mercy. And, and he has an endless supply is what it's saying here. And he's the God of all comfort. So he never runs out of the uh, willingness, the ability and the willingness to give us comfort in our lives. Comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are also in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. So uh, I remember walking with Clarice and, uh, you know, just seeing her grow over the years and uh, in her process of grief. And um, somewhere around year 10, uh, I believe that she was able to share with me that, um, that she felt settled. Um, and that was a pivotal year for her. And what I've also watched is that she's allowed this tremendous tragedy in her life to be the way that God uses her in this life. And so she's very active uh, in helping grief groups and uh, working with A New Day uh, and the offering other ways that she helps people as a marriage and family therapist uh, in grief. But one of the things that we did last year that she came to us and asked if we could do, uh, because we, we seem to be experiencing more and more death in our church, is a class called, a seminar called Surviving the Holidays. And it's just a one-time class uh, by a group called Grief Share. And so we did it last year, and it was so well-received that we wanted, she came and asked if we could do it again this year. So I just want to mention that today. Uh, that class will, seminar will be on December 11th, and there's a flyer you can get at our group's table today if you're interested. It's for everyone who's lost a loved one to death, okay? This would be everybody who's lost a loved one to death. Uh, would be welcome to come to learn how to process the holidays as you work your way through those. And as a result of her, we also have a, a group that meets here on our campus, and it's a grief group for moms who's lost children, and you can find out more about that as well. And then we have a grief group that meets for those who have lost a spouse. And uh, we're going to be starting up new grief groups in January as well, but you can find out more information at the groups table. Now, I just want to mention something because uh, that one of the things that we were trying to teach today is how to go through grief, but what you're learning if you're not in grief or you have a loved one who is, is how to help them. And I just want to encourage you that the book that we talked about in the standout series called Love Kindness by Dr. Barry Corey, 
And that book is a chapter on how to help, kindly help people through grief. And so if you bought that book, that'd be a great thing for you to utilize and use in helping in your understanding as well. And then she mentioned uh, some ways that books helped her. Well, there's a couple of books in our bookstore that I picked just for this message today. So I encourage you to stop by. Uh, One is entitled, This Is Not What I Expected, and it's talking about a family who have autistic children. But I can't tell you how much Kim has helped me to learn from this book about grief. Uh, And then there's another one about hope. But it just helps you to see uh, that you can read other people's stories. Just want to encourage you with that as well. Okay, two more ideas, and then we'll close in a prayer. And the first one is this. If I'm going to lead my heart and mind to hope, I must embrace the person of grief. So first, I have to embrace that grief is a process. And then secondly, I have to embrace the person of grief. And I would say today, for your clarity, the person is Jesus person is Jesus. Jesus understands your pain. He understands your loss. Prophecy about him in Isaiah 53 says this, says, he was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. Jesus was a man who knew and experienced grief, a man who experienced sorrow. He knows what it's like to face loss. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to feel the pain of discouragement, disappointment, rejection, abandonment, sadness, and the loss of friends. And Jesus, when he walked the face of the earth, he knew how to express his grief and release it. He was not afraid to cry. Look at this verse from John 11. When Jesus saw her weeping, he's coming to the, after the death of his friend Lazarus, and he's talking to his sister. When he saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was greatly moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? Talking about Lazarus. And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. But those Two words may be two of the most encouraging words in the Bible. Because what we learn from this is that God weeps over our sadness. Jesus offers us comfort in our grief. He offers us God's compassion in our suffering. He offers us God's peace in our distress. He offers us God's presence in our loneliness. So folks, Clarice mentioned crying And I just want to say this because I see so many people who are in grief and when they cry, they apologize for it. And I just want to say, never apologize for your tears. It's honoring the loss. Never apologize for your tears. There's nothing wrong with weeping and weeping and weeping when you're in grief. In fact, followers of Jesus may just want to consider how crying makes them more like Jesus. Being moved by the pain in this world shows the world that you care It's good to cry. The best grievers are often the best weepers. That's what Psalm 62 is talking about. It's talking about pouring out our heart. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So lead your heart. Pour it out. Lead your mind. God is my refuge. Pour it out. God is my refuge. And then the last idea is this I'm going to leave you with. Embrace the promise of grief. Embrace the promise of grief. There's lots of promises and I'll just say this, that that's, the promises are what helped me in my grief and helped me in the grief that I've had since then at different losses in life. But the main promise that would help you as a follower of Jesus is to know that death is not the end. Death is not the end. But instead, it's the beginning, the beginning of a life with God. Look at what 1 Corinthians 15 says. 
It says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, I told you a story about Nicole Schur. And Nicole is, uh, was a 37-year-old mom, wife, who passed away a couple of weeks ago from cancer. And I told you about the time that I was able to go into her room and to share in the last days of her life. And, and I asked her if there was anything she wanted to say. And the one thing she said, as we talked about last week, she says, I have peace. I have peace. And we talked about how that came from Jesus. And we can all have peace in the storms of life. I forgot to tell you this part, and it fits so well with today. I just want to bring us back to this. What I forgot to tell you is that after she told me that, we brought the entire family in, and we all, as many of us as could, sat on the bed. And then others of us stood around the bed, and we prayed. And we prayed her release into heaven. We thanked God for her life. We thanked God for her influence and her courage. We thanked God for her peace and how that was going to help us in our grief. And we prayed, and it was just the sweetest moment. And then we were finished, and I was going to say goodbye, and I went outside, and I was escorted out by her brother-in-law. And when we were standing on the porch, we were talking, he looked at me, and he said this. He says, there is no sting in that room. There is no sting in that room. Death has lost its sting. There's no sting there because... Cole had put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and the family had also released her to be with God in heaven. There's so much truth in that, and that's a promise that we can all grab hold of and that we can all carry as we face our grief as well, because Nicole believed this next verse, Revelation 21. She knew that at any minute, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. See, even the best of what we have in this life will end. Even the best. But what we have in this life, folks, is just a dim echo of what is to come. What we have in Him. And I just want to wrap this up by coming back to the action that I want to encourage you with. The action is that you would... Lead yourself, lead your heart and your mind to find hope in your grief, that you would lead yourself. The writer of Lamentation says, this I call to mind. The writer of Psalms said, hope in God. And then the writer of Habakkuk, another Old Testament book, he says this, and these were also some of the verses that were very dear to me in my time of deep grief. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive oil fail, and the fields yield no flood, no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stall. So everything's bleak and nothing's changing. Yet, he's leading himself. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Leading is his heart. I rejoice, and I will take joy in my heart by the truth I know about God. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. So I just leave you with this thought. It is possible 
for you to lead your heart and your mind toward hope again. No matter what difficulty or loss that you faced in life, you are not a victim of your painful reality. God wants to bless you with hope so that you can be a blessing and a comfort to others with the hope you've been given. Let's pray together. God, I know that this has been really hard today. For some of us, it's been, uh, I would just think that we've just wanted to run the whole time. I remember that well. I want to thank, thank you if that was you that you chose to stay. You chose to listen. You chose to let even the healing words just sink into you today. Even though you don't even have the strength to think that you could let your actions be um, what I've talked about. But now you know the steps. Now you know the way. There is a way to walk through grief. So, Father, I pray for those in the room who are hurting, those who have lost loved ones, those who have had other tremendous losses in their lives right now. I pray for them, Jesus, that each one of us today have a sense that there's hope because we trust in you. We've placed our trust in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.